This podcast is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. For a 10% discount on the National Disciple-Making Forum this October in Nashville, Tennessee, register at Discipleship.org and use the promotional code PODCAST. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. Robbie Gallaty is the senior pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where the Discipleship.org National Forum is hosted this year. Robbie brings a unique perspective on making disciples because he has experience working with large churches and he has extensive experience in making disciples on a grassroots level. In this episode, you'll hear Robbie tell his conversion to Christ story, as well as his perspective on disciple making for the church today. He offers practical tips for all disciple making leaders. You'll also hear two other disciple makers who invested into Robbie. One of them helped Robbie come to know the Lord, and the other helped him grow up in the Lord. But that's only part of the story. My name is Robbie Gallaty, and uh, I'm the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, uh, right outside of Nashville, Hendersonville, Tennessee. So, Robbie, talk to me about what disciple making has looked like in your life. Kind of a big picture, forty thousand foot view. Yeah. So people always say to me, Robbie, why are you so passionate about making disciples? And I say that I'm a product of disciple making. So I was actually raised Roman Catholic. Uh, I was uh, brought up in a very religious home. Parents were uh, half Italian, so we uh, went to church every Sunday. If we missed church on Sunday, went to confession on Saturday and uh, expected the peace of God to come over me as I went out and lived like I wanted through the week. Uh, I, I knew who Jesus was back then, but I didn't have a personal relationship with him. And so got out of college, had a basketball scholarship to UNC Greensboro in North Carolina. Uh, I was actually going to play there, and uh, the girl I was dating at the time in high school throws a fit. She said, there's no way you're going to go that far away. You need to go closer to home. And so I literally, because she was going to LSU, and so I literally opened the phone book up and found William Carey College in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I never even heard the school before, heard of the school. And so I called the coach up, and I said, Coach Knight, can I try out for the team? He's like, Robbie, the school starts in a few weeks. There's no way you can do that. But hesitantly, he let me come try out, and by God's grace, he called me a few days later and said, Robbie, you have a full ride to come play basketball here. Two weeks into the semester, the girl that uh, I was dating at the time thinks I'm cheating on her, which I wasn't, but she thought I was, and she breaks up with me. And so here I am now, a Roman Catholic stuck on the college campus of a Southern Baptist University. And uh, if you don't know, for those who don't know what that means, I was the target of every evangelism class on campus, right? So yeah. uh, they're like, who do we tell about Jesus? We tell Robbie. <laughs> I, I would cruise to the campus back then, uh, blaring the unedited version of Tupac Shakur from my two 10-inch bazooka subs in the trunk. And so I didn't hide that I wasn't a, a believer. Uh, they knew it. And people tried to share Christ with me, but I would reject the gospel. Uh, 1995, a man named Jeremy Brown, and uh, people ask me, why would Jeremy do this? I think he was the only one brave enough to really sit me down. He was about 6'5", and he said, Robbie, I, I need to tell you about Jesus. He said, if you ever get in a bind, I know you probably don't want Christ, but if you ever get in a bind, you feel like everyone's turned their back on you. You can cry out to the Lord through repentance and faith and be saved. I said, Jeremy, thanks, but no thanks, not interested in that. But I would remember that seven years later. Uh, and just a side note for people who, who may be listening, you have to understand, I was the last person who would ever come to faith in Christ. I mean, he, I was the guy as far from Christ as you can imagine. And it was the seeds that were planted years ago by Jeremy that God brought to fruition seven years later. So uh, you never know what God would do with the implanted word. Uh, my name is Jeremy Brown, and uh, I've had the opportunity to see Robbie go from 
being uh, one of the craziest guys in college that I knew, so an opportunity to serve with him in ministry. Uh, me and Robbie met uh, in 1995, uh, William Carey College. It was Robbie's sophomore year and my freshman year. We just kind of become good friends, and uh, I just first tried to witness to him through my actions. Uh, then once we become friends, I uh, just, you know, began to witness to him when I ever got open up the door. Back when I first knew Robbie, a lot of people were scared of him because of his size, his demeanor. Uh, you know, Robbie, you know, liked to, you know, had the persona, he liked to fight and things like that. Uh, but also, once you got to know him, you know, once I got to know him, I mean, he just, he was a, you know, had the same Robbie as now and that he liked to cut up, liked to play, you know, jokes, pranks, and uh, we all just had a good time. Uh, you know, there in college, uh, other than the fact that, I mean, uh, you know, he thought that he was spiritually okay because, you know, he was his parents were Catholic. He was Catholic. Uh, got out of college. I started a computer business. It was successful for about a half a year, a little over a year, almost a year, and uh, went belly up. We couldn't pay the bills anymore, and so I decided I didn't want to do anything in the world uh, I wanted to start training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I don't know if you guys... That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, <laughs> at the time, it made perfect sense. So, so here I was, uh, 6'5", 290 pounds, training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And uh, I'm out at, a, at a, a restaurant, bar, club one night, and uh, a guy who owned uh, another club in town came up to me. He said, Robbie, would you be interested in being the head bouncer of my club, downtown New Orleans, in the middle of Mardi Gras? I'm in New Orleans, Louisiana at the time, and he said, we're expecting a 1,000 people a night. Would you be interested in doing that? And I said, let me get this straight. You're going to pay me to fight? I'm in. And so uh, it seemed like a great opportunity at the time. And I want to tell you, those three months were the wildest time of my life, if you can imagine. I was escorting two guys to the parking lot one night. Uh, they were saying things to me that I can't repeat now, but uh, when they got to their car, one guy leaned under the seat, pulled out a loaded 9mm, pointed it at my head, and said, now tell me what the blank to do. And I said, wow, uh, need a career change. And so I made a lateral move from bouncing to bartending, which seemed like a good move. You know? <laughs> so outside the club, inside the club. And uh, I was coming home from work uh, one night, November 22nd, 1999. And uh, I, I had a red uh, Mustang at the time. I was coming on the high rise in the city of New Orleans, the large bridge. And 18-wheeler came across two lanes of traffic, rear-ended me at 65 miles an hour, slammed my car into the guardrail. The seat broke off the hinges, the back, my back locked up and torqued because of the seatbelt locking. Went to the doctors uh, shortly after. They said, it's amazing you made it out, uh, not hurt more than you are. You could have died in the accident. Uh, and they sent me home that day at 22 with four things, Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. And so you know the story. Within, within three or four months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, I've got this insatiable desire to get high, and, and I'm legitimately in pain, but I'm running through the medication that's supposed to last me a month in, in two weeks, and so I have to find a way to fuel the habit I, I have. And a friend, a so-called friend at the time, comes up to me. He says, Robbie, why are you fooling with pharmaceutical drugs? You can buy street drugs, heroin, cocaine. You can bag it up. You can sell it. You can fuel your habit. Seemed like a good business venture. And uh, in the year 2000, I, I brought the, the, the business knowledge from the world into the drug world, started an illegal import business. And I have to say, in the beginning, by the world standards, times were good. 
I had tons of money, you know, travel where I wanted to, flew where I wanted to, uh, went out all the time whenever I wanted to. Uh, but even back then, I, I knew there was something missing in my life. All the money, all, all the fun, all the excitement at the time, so-called fun. Um, and so times were good. In the year 2000, though, uh, we decided uh, that it was time to straighten up when we lost our first friend. Uh, my buddy Rick died of a heroin overdose, needle still in his arm. But it was a cycle. We would get clean, we'd go back in the world. And so for the next three years of my life, I had this cycle I would go through, this downward spiral of drug addiction. Uh, at the height of the addiction, my habit was $180 a day, heroin and cocaine. That's how much I needed every day to live. Went to two rehab treatments, robbed my own family for $15,000, short story, long story made short. And then finally in 2002, November 12th, I'm in my room. Uh, I'd been clean and sober at that time for two weeks. And I remembered what Jeremy Brown told me in college. I think it was six or seven years later uh, when he was at the worst of the worst that night, you know, that he tells about uh, that he remembers that talk that me and him had. Uh, and that's when he accepted Christ as his first Lord and Savior. So that's kind of, you know, the hand that I had in him becoming uh, a Christian, accepting Christ as his first Lord and Savior. And I got on my knees. wasn't even in a church. wasn't in a wasn't in a revival service. Uh, it was in my room. I got on my knees and I cried out to the Lord and I said, Jesus, if you're real. Uh, I'm going to give my life to you, and I promise you I'll not be ashamed of what you do, and I'll, I will tell the world about it. And uh, that night, I truly understand what it meant to be a sinner, repented of my sins, put my faith in Christ, and I had a 24-hour radical experience with Christ. You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. We bring you stories of disciple makers who are making disciples that make disciples in the North American context. Today's episode is Robbie Gallaty's story. Robbie is the founder of Replicate a ministry which exists to equip, educate, and empower the local church to make disciples. Now, on a personal level, Robbie had a radical conversion to Christ, and God used the words of his college friend, Jeremy Brown, to help lead him to Christ. We interviewed Jeremy and found out that he got to see Robbie before and after he converted to Christ. So I asked Jeremy about the change he saw in Robbie after he had become a disciple. Here's Jeremy. Well, I mean, the major change is being that uh, before he was constantly having to do things to fill that void. You know, he was moving from one thing to the next. Robbie loved to draw, loved to play basketball. And he was constantly, you know, uh, just on the mood, filling that void uh, versus when he, you know, uh, accepted Jesus Christ as first Lord and Savior. I mean, you could tell the, the change was that, you know, he was, he, you know, he was full. Uh, and, you know, I mean, he knew he had found what he had been looking uh, and, and so, um, you know, and just the excitement, you know, uh, in his eyes and the, and the, you know, the excitement that, you know, he just wanted to tell everybody, uh, and, you know, that was the thing, you know, Robbie was different in that, you know, uh, as soon as he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, he knew he was, in the, you know, being called to the ministry because from that point, you know, all he did was want to tell people about Christ and wanted that to be, you know, his full-time thing. Uh, so that from the get go. What did what did you learn about God through Robbie's story? The Lord's plan, he's always in control. And sometimes he's gotta take you through certain things in life to get you to where he wants you, you know, to bring you to where he wants to bring you. And, you know, and there were so many things that the Lord allowed to happen in Robbie's life, you know, to bring him to the point that, you know, he needed to be at to completely, you know, be all in. Uh, 
you know, to um, surrender his life to him. Uh, and in doing that, you know, he walked Robbie through so much. Um, well, there's a train on there. But uh, through that, he walked Robbie through so much, you know, that even now, uh, you know, Robbie dealing with, you know, people that have drugs, dealing with family that's lost, dealing with so many things that Robbie, you know, understands, been there, done that. Um, you know, that I see that God's in control through so many situations, you know. He never delivered Shadrach and Meshach through the, you know, out of the furnace, but he walked with them through it. Uh, and, you know, so many times with Robbie, you know, it's amazing he survived what he survived. But, you know, in the end, uh, the Lord has used all that uh, to be part of Robbie's story, you know, and all that's now used, you know, uh, as part of Robbie's story to glorify Christ. It was so radical. The next day I went to my dad, who's Catholic, and I'm like, Dad, God's called me into the ministry. So the day he saved me was the day he called me. I knew that. I just knew that at the time. And my dad is thinking to himself, son, what are you smoking? You know what I mean? Like of all, <laughs> the, like of all things you could have chosen, you know, why would you choose going into the ministry? And he said to me, he said, Robbie, how are you going to get married one day by being a priest? And uh, he didn't know any better, you know? Right. And so, and so here's, here's where the discipleship aspect comes in. For the next eight to nine months, I'm wandering in the Christian life, like most people, right? So I'm saved, I'm a believer, I'm born again, but, but I don't know how to read the Bible because no one's shown me. Uh, I don't know how to memorize scripture. I didn't know I should. Uh, I didn't know how to spend time in prayer. I mean, I knew the rote prayers, you know, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, but I didn't know how to really have a communication or a relationship through communication with God. And so uh, I, I kind of wandered for eight or nine months. August of 2003, I'm at Edgewater Baptist Church. Dr. Jim Shaddix is the pastor, and a man named David Platt walks across the campus and says, Robbie, would you be interested in meeting once a week to study the Bible, memorize scripture, and pray? I said, David, I'd love to. He said, pray about it. I said, I already have. When do we meet? <laughs> and I just want to tell you, for the next two years, David invested his life in mine. It was just the two of us for six months. And then he encouraged me to go to seminary to, to get a, a master's degree in preaching. It's really influential in that. Uh, David baptized me. David stood in my wedding. Uh, David took me on my first mission trip. And he not only gave me a passion for, for evangelism in the nations, he gave me a burden for expository preaching. Let's, let's stop there and read yeah. it real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, all right, you're good. I think so. It was like not only did he, yeah. So not only did he give me a burden for the nations, but he gave me a passion for expository preaching. He gave me a desire uh, to learn more, and I had this insatiable desire to just grow in my faith. And so David invested in me. So I'm a product of discipleship. Uh, shortly after that, in uh, March of the following year, I met a man named Tim Lafleur. Tim Lafleur was a college minister on a campus in South Louisiana, and uh, he was going to Glorieta, New Mexico, which is a camp that people would go to every year. And Tim needed a, a, a campus pastor, a camp pastor that year. And so he decided to take a chance on me. And the cool thing about uh, me back then when I was in seminary is my nickname was Ignorance on Fire. And, <laughs> and the reason is I didn't know much about the Lord, yeah. but the little I knew, man, I was passionate about. And Tim took a chance on me and like two college buddies that summer, I'm just telling you, we talked about everything. We lived life together. I watched how he loved his wife. I watched how he shepherded his kids. I watched how he preached sermons. And so, you know, discipleship's more caught than taught. And so I literally, like a, like a rabbi with his student, I literally learned from Tim. And uh, I have the amazing privilege now here at Long Hollow to have Tim LaFleur on staff 
is our campus ministry, ministry development pastor here. And so uh, I'm the product of discipleship. That's why I'm so passionate about it. My name is uh, Tim LaFleur, and I'm the campus development pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church. Why I enjoy being on staff with Rob, because think about it, it's a unique deal. Um, I was a mentor at one time, now he's my boss. But I love working alongside him. Uh, we not only spent that summer at Glorietta together, but uh, for a season of time, I was sort of as a mentor for him, being a more seasoned pastor and him being a young pastor. He said that you invested into him that summer and then beyond that. What exactly did you do to invest into him and to spend time discipling him? That summer, uh, we're like college buddies. We're together all the time. We were ministering to the students. And he had so many questions. He had so many things that he was wondering about. He was, he was just really getting to know his Bible and had many, many questions. Uh, he was all in. He was radically saved. He was on fire, but uh, but he needed a little instruction. He needed some help. He had spent lots of time with David Platt, and David helped him to begin to have a hunger for the Word of God. He, I think he already had that, but he maximized that. And then they began to memorize Scripture together. So he had walked with David for a season, and then I had the opportunity to spend... Uh, just days, every day, really, um, with Robbie. And a hungry Christian, uh, for me, would be like saying, sick him to a bulldog, because <laughs> I had been a disciple maker through the years. And, and I was just really, really enamored by this young man, this tall young man. Uh, he weighed almost 300 pounds at the time. He was training Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and, and he was in the gym all the time and so there's this this tall six six muscular built young man who just has a passion for the things of god and and is radically saved and and hungry like a sponge to soak up information and so for me as a disciple maker that was like saying sick him to a bulldog yeah. and, and really wanted to invest in him and help him and so we'd talk every day for hours. And so I would I would invest in him and then he would in turn invest in the students. And what have you learned from your experience with Robbie and watching him kind of from that early stage where he was hungry yet still very new as a believer in Christ to where he is today and what God's done in his life and through his ministry? What have you learned from all that? Well, I knew from the very beginning that Robbie Gallaty was a very unique special young man. One of the things that I've gleaned is that for a disciple maker, for someone who invests in others, you really have this tremendous joy when you see them growing in their faith and as a pastor to see him grow in grace and in knowledge and, and especially as a pastor in leadership and now he invests in others, and he's got so many folks he's invested in now. And one of the things that was an amazing thing was all of the leaders that were raised up in his last pastorate at Brainerd. And I had a part to, you know, I had an opportunity to be a part of that as well. 
but we saw, saw so many leaders who are now on staff there who were raised up because of discipleship. And as we discipled guys, we began to see things in them. And Robbie, especially in his group, he began to see things and characteristics in certain guys that as they developed spiritually, they felt a calling for ministry. They now are in ministry, in Christian ministry today because of the investment that Robbie's had in their lives. And so being a guy who invested in him to see him invest in others makes all the difference. It just just makes my heart overflow with joy. We're taking a break from the story to hear more about how you can grow as a disciple maker by joining the national conversation that's going on right now. For starters, join the discipleship.org National Forum for Disciple Making at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, this October 6th and 7th. This is a two-day conference specifically for you. If you're a leader of any type in the church, paid or unpaid, volunteer or on staff, pastors and laypersons alike will learn best practices for disciple making today. It's on a Thursday and a Friday so that you can travel from just about anywhere in the country and still make it back for Sunday. This year's theme for the forum is called Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. This conference is the first of its kind because 10 disciple-making organizations will all be in one place at the same time. One of those 10 tracks is hosted by Replicate, the ministry Robbie and others started. Their track at the National Forum this year is called Changing a Church Through D-Groups. Here's Robbie with a word about what Replicate does and why he's excited about the National Disciple-Making Forum this fall. I'm so excited about this, and I'll tell you why. It is, and I've told some of the guys who will be here with us, this could be the largest gathering of disciple-makers at one place at one time, could be, could be ever. Uh, I know there have been other discipleship gatherings. But one of the things that separates this gathering apart from others is that all of these men, and I know all of them personally, are practitioners. They're not guys who are ivory tower theologians writing about it or talking about it or preaching about it. They're doing it. And, you know, in discipleship, we want to hear from guys who are in the trenches. And, and the beautiful thing is the spectrum is so wide that we all have different ways of doing it, but we all share the same passion and heartbeat to invest in the next generation. And what I love about all these men is that they believe that their greatest legacy, and, and I know this from many of them, is not going to be in the books they've written. It's not even going to be in the sermons they've crafted. It won't even be in the churches they've pastored, although those would be a great legacy. I think they would all agree with me that the greatest impact they'll have when they're gone is on the hearts of the men and women that they've invested in. And that's how you leave a lasting legacy. And so what's going to be so cool is we're going to be able to hear from so many different people, so many different ministries, rub shoulders with disciple makers. And I think it's going to be a conference unlike any before, because not only do we get to hear from the people, we're going to get to network with other pastors who are like-minded from around the world. And I think it's going to be something special. Uh, just want to encourage those listening. If you can make it here, make every effort to be here. It's going to be great. So uh, I'm the president of Replicate Ministries. We started the ministry in 2008 and really started Replicate to fill a, a void we saw of really empowering people to make disciples through the local church. What Replicate does is we equip the local church, we educate the local church, and we empower the local church 
to go back and make disciples who make disciple makers. And when I use the word local church, I mean the body, not the building. So how does discipleship look in the local church? Register for the National Forum for Disciple Making at discipleship.org. Get a 10% discount if you're coming by yourself or bringing a group that's not yet registered by using the promotional code PODCAST. For more about Replicate, visit replicate.org. They equip, educate, and empower the local church to make disciples by offering resources, teaching, and what they call Replicate Cohorts, a discipleship program for those who want to make disciples. Again, that's replicate.org. And now back to the story. Robbie had spent a summer being discipled by Tim LaFleur, as we heard about, who is now on staff with him at Long Hollow Baptist Church. Robbie looks back on that time as very formative in his life. So I asked Robbie more details on what Tim actually did when he discipled him that summer. Here's Robbie. So we, we met weekly, uh, intentionally in a discipling time. That, that was kind of the crux of all we did. And uh, I tell people, discipleship is way more than a weekly meeting for an hour to an hour and a half, but it's never less than that. And the reason is Jesus met with his guys all the time. So most people don't have the luxury of meeting 24 seven with, with guys or with girls, uh, women with women, men with men, but we do have the opportunity to meet together through the week. So, so when we'd meet together during that time, it was accountability, it was transparency, it was intimacy. But beyond that, we just live life together. So he would take me into his home and I would watch how he would shepherd his family. Uh, but, but, but really, I'll tell you, he was a sounding board for all these questions I had. So I had more questions than I had answers, but at that time I knew where I could go for those answers. And man, we talked about everything. I mean, you name it, we talked about it. And I felt like I left that summer uh, knowing what to do as a believer, knowing what's expected of me as a believer, and how to, how to live it out. And here's a great principle I learned back then, and, and I tell pastors this today, and, and even ministry leaders and believers, you can't expect from others what you're not emulating yourself. So, so we can't expect our kids to get into the word and, 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 to, be, and to be followers of God and, 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 and to follow God in all things if we're not doing that. We can't expect our people to be intentional about prayer if we're not praying as leaders. Uh, we can't expect our families to disciple their kids if we're not discipling our kids. So, so I always tell people, I learned how to emulate or, or, or I learned how to live out the Christian life because I watched someone emulate that before me. So what we try to do is we try to be intentional about meeting outside of the group. Uh, Candy, my wife and I have been investing in, she invests in women, I invest in guys, and we've been doing that now uh, since we've been married, even before we've been married. And this year we did something interesting. We decided to match our groups up where I was discipling the husbands and she was discipling the wives. And, and I'll tell you the, the great benefit of that. Just yesterday, we had a D group get together. We try to meet with our D groups outside, live life with, with the families and, uh, and with kids together. And so we did that yesterday. And it was amazing because we got to come together. And what we're seeing is a holistic change. We kept hearing that over and over. We're seeing a holistic change in the family because the husband's involved in discipleship and the wives are involved in disciple making, and then they in turn are discipling the children. So we kept hearing story after story of that. So I would just say be intentional about meeting beyond the discipleship time. That, 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 that weekly meeting is crucial. 
but it's way bigger than that. So we have a running text message with, with our D group. And I'm always texting the guys uh, about different things. Uh, hey, I'm praying for you. Or don't forget to memorize your scripture for the week. Or how can, uh, how can we support you guys? Or what can we pray for this week? And so that's another intentional way to live life with them. Uh, try to go out with them once a month. Here's another thing we, we started this year. We put a... Uh, we put a sheet together, an Excel spreadsheet of all the people in our group. There are six guys in our group total, uh, including me. And basically what we did is we decided we wanted to meet individually with every person over the year. So if, if you and I are in the group, then what we would do is we would meet in, in July, let's say. And then the next month, you would meet with another guy and I would meet with another guy. So at the end of the time, not only do we have the group continuity of meeting as a group, journeying as a team, but we also have that individual aspect and we get to know guys outside of the group personally. It's mm -hmm. been very helpful. That's awesome. As you look back on you know, your ministry and even, even when you were being discipled by you know, Tim and David and others, what have you seen as the greatest challenge in your own life in terms of making disciples? Yeah, I would say that the greatest enemy of disciple making is always time. Uh, we, we, we in this culture are, uh, we're, 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 we're a culture of low action, high uh, input. So we have a high intake, but we have low action. For example, most people, when they get home from work, they're going to sit in front of a television screen and they're going to watch a, 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 a TV uh, or going to sit by TV and they passively sit by and they don't do anything with the information they just saw. Well, that can spill over in our discipleship mindset mm -hmm. because what happens is, and that spills over in the church because what happens is we, we have bought into this idea that church in general is a consumerism kind, kind of environment where you go to church you're fed. The pastor does all the ministry. We sit back idly and watch him. And I think that's a that, that, that's a trickle down effect from Roman Catholicism years ago. And, and years ago, th there was this great chasm that was set up after Alexander. I mean, after um, Constantine and others, where the Catholic Church was a group of, of bishops and popes and priests who did all the ministry, and you had the the laity the people who would sit by, and there was this an amazing chasm, this large gap between the, the platform leaders and the people in the pews or the people in the padded seats today. And so that has perpetuated in the church. And so most people think what church is today is, I just come and I show up on Sunday and I'll show up on Wednesday and that's church. And what we realized from Paul in Ephesians 4 is that success in the local church is not in how much work or how much ministry the leaders do, Success in the local church, an effective local church is how well they as leaders equip the saints for the work of ministry. So as a report card, I told our church here at Long Hollow, at the end of the year, if you want to gauge the effectiveness of my first year of ministry here, I've been here for eight months now. If you want to gauge the effectiveness of my personal ministry, don't look at all the ministry I do personally. Look at how well our pastoral team has equipped the saints to partner with us in ministry. And, and here's what you do by doing that. You, in essence, give back the ministry to people God has called to do it. When we do all the ministry, we are crippling our people. We are taking away from them the God-given ability that they have to partner with Christ on this great commission that he has given us. And, and I think it cripples and it paralyzes people in the pew. So I, I think it's time management for me. It's always been a challenge of just 
trying to be intentional. Uh, you know, if you fail to plan, you can plan to fail. And most people don't make disciples, I think, because they're not intentional. Um, I was speaking one time to a large uh, staff um, gathering. It was a larger church. Their whole staff was there. There was 100 people in the room, staff members and their spouses. And uh, the pastor who was, uh, who was at the church was a great evangelist. He was passionate about sharing the gospel, passionate about evangelism. And I just talked for 50 minutes about the importance of discipling people. And before I left, he said, Robbie, why don't you take a seat and sit? And I want to ask you a few questions. And here's what he finished with. He asked me a lot of questions. Here's his last question. He said, you just told this group, the best staff members I have, the cream of the crop, that you expect them to add another time to their busy schedule. He said they are leading groups, they are preaching, they are out evangelizing, they're sharing the gospel, they're ministering to parents, and you expect them to add another time to their busy schedule. And I said, I, I said, I get that, I understand that. I turned to the group and here's what I asked. I said, how many people in here ever wake up early and go to lunch with a church member? To which all of them laughed and they said, we do that all the time. I said, anybody in here ever go out during the week for lunch with another church member or a family member or a friend? And they raised their hand. They said all the time. I said, here's what I'm asking. I'm not asking you to do something new or different. I'm asking you to maximize the time you already have, to multiply the ministry you're already doing. Just incorporate once a week to, to your busy schedule. And here's a great thing that, that we've done here. We've realized that Wednesday nights at our church are the best time for discipleship. And here's why. Best time for D groups. We call them D groups. And here's why. Because we realize that on Wednesday night, most churches have age-graded ministries. So you have preschool, you have children, you have students, normally you have college. And so the parents can drop their kids off and, and, and the church is already ministering to them. And then they can go find those empty rooms on Wednesday night that are used on Sunday morning for Sunday Bible study or Sunday school. And they can meet in those. So at the previous church I was at, Brainerd Baptist, our largest discipling time was Wednesday night. We had over 500 adults in discipleship groups on Wednesday night. And they would meet all throughout the campus. And there was no greater joy for me as a pastor than to walk through the hallways and see these groups of three to five to six meeting throughout the campus. I wanted to ask if you could broadcast like one main message to, to not just Christian leaders, but to Christians in general who want to follow Jesus. Like you were saying before, a lot of people want to become mature and to grow spiritually. They just don't know how. Mm. So if you could broadcast just one message to the church about disciple making, what would you say to them? As you kind of look at the, the terrain of discipleship in yeah. North America, what would you say? Here's what I'd say. Two things. Let me say two things. The first thing I want people to understand is that baptism is not the finish line. It's the starting line. And I think for so many years, the church has basically celebrated baptism alone, which is something to celebrate. But that's not where the work ends. That's where the work begins. That's where the work of getting people plugged in to, to the local church and through a process of spiritual growth. Most churches are like this. And I've pastored this church, admittingly, in the past. A person walks the aisle or responds after the service and says, hey, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. We pray a prayer with them. We pat them on the back after we finish and we say, suck it up. We'll see you next week. And that's their Christian life. And they have bought into the idea that if they just go to Sunday church and they go to Sunday school, they're going to grow. 
And we know, because we've seen so many casualties over the years of people who have done that very thing, mm -hmm. and they are no closer to Jesus than when they started. So the second thing to piggyback that is, is that understanding, and here's the big thing in North America, here's the big thing in the Western culture. We need to understand that transformation doesn't happen by just transfer of information alone. And here's the big one. In our Western culture, we bought into this idea that if we just learn more things in the Bible, if we take another Bible study, if we can spend time at another conference, or if we can get another degree on the wall, we're going to be mature. And we know it does not equate. Now, I'm not discounting learning stuff. We have to learn all we can about the Bible. But here's an Eastern philosophy. Here's an Eastern mindset. The Eastern way, Jesus was an Eastern man, Jewish rabbi, Jewish context, Jewish culture, called predominantly Jewish men to follow him uh, and women. So, so Jesus is in an Eastern culture. Here's how Easterners learn. Easterners learn not through just transfer of information. They learn through transformation, through reiteration and repetition of information. So I found an interesting uh, comment from one of the rabbis um, back in the second or third century. And here's what he said. He said, and this is in the Mishnah, he who has studied his lesson 100 times is not as effective as he who studied it 101. <laughs> now think about that. That's a very different approach to our culture, which wants everything mm. new. We want to learn more. That's good. And what this rabbi is saying is, he's saying it's good to learn new things, but God's a God of remembering. God always says, reflect, put stones in the ground and remember what I did here. Reflect upon it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord. All your hearts, all mind is shame. Remember these things. Write them upon your hearts. Put them as frontlets on your hand. I mean, so, so God is consistently saying, remembering the past. Now, here's what happens in most churches. Let me get on a soapbox for just a moment. Just, just <laughs> a moment. It, brother. Just a moment. Okay, here's what the American church normally is like when you go into any church in the country. Uh, a church member walks in on Sunday morning and they hear the pastor deliver a sermon on one text about a particular topic. Okay, Then they leave there and immediately walk into a Sunday school or a Bible study or a home group and they hear another person deliver a different message on a different text on a different topic. And they have just cut the impact of the morning sermon by two. Then they leave there and they go to come back sometimes for Sunday night service where the pastor himself will get up and preach a different message on a different topic, on a different text, and he himself has just cut the impact by four. Then you come back on Wednesday night for the Wednesday prayer meeting and the devotional time, and even though it's only a short devotion, it's still a different sermon, different topic, different text. You just cut the impact by an eighth. Then if you're, you have the time, then you have cut the impact down by a 16th when you come to the Tuesday morning Bible study or the Thursday afternoon study. And we wonder, Chad, why we aren't growing as Christians. And here's why. We are diluting the message. It's not because we have a lack of information. We live in a world today where we have access to all the information in the world. That's a division strategy. Let me give you a multiplication strategy. We implemented it this year. We piloted it at Long Hollow. Here's what we did. We, we're reading as a church the F260 plan, the foundational Bible reading plan. And what we're doing is in our discipleship groups weekly, our people are discussing the week's reading. And one of the things about disciple making, as you know, the Bible is the textbook, right? It's not, the books are good and the extra studies are good, but they are they support 
the, 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 the Bible reading. They support this. Like, why? Because you, you will reproduce in your next group what was introduced to you in your first group. Okay, so if you read every study out there, every new book out there, then that's what you're going to reproduce. Right. If you were introduced to a video series, whether it be Beth Moore, Francis Chan, or David Platt, then you're going to think that's discipleship, and so you're going to reproduce video series from here on out. But if you were introduced to the Bible, and you were in the Word until the Word gets into you, that's what you're going to reproduce. So our whole church is reading the F260 plan. They're in the discipleship time together. They're discussing it. When they walk in on Sunday morning, guess what I'm preaching on this whole year? One of the week's reading. And it's really been cool because our church is trying to figure out, what is Robbie going to preach on today? <laughs> it's one? really cool. Yeah, what, which passage? So last week they read through Jonah, was one of the sections, and I preached through Jonah. This week we're reading through Isaiah, and I'm preaching on Isaiah's call in Isaiah 7, when he's in the presence of the Lord in the temple, and uh, the, the train of the Lord fills, and the glory of God is revealed before him. I just multiplied the impact of that by two. Then they leave there and go into a small group, a life group, and they discuss what I just talked about in the sermon. So they are applying what they just heard, and we just multiply the impact by four. Then what they do is they tune in every week for a periscope time, which I'm doing online, and they just multiply the impact by an, by eight. And so you see the impact here. Then watch this, at home with their kids, because they feel confident, because they're out of the overflow teaching, they're going home and teaching their kids the F260 and they've just multiplied the impact by a 16. So the question is this, what do we want to have in our churches? a division strategy where we're diluting the message or a multiplication strategy where, where we're magnifying the message. And here's a quote I want to close with, and I want you to think about this. Very impactful. Dave Browning said this. He said, the problem in the Christian life is not the gap between what we know and what we don't know. He said, the problem in the Christian life is the gap between what we know and what we do. And he said, Christians today have become educated beyond their obedience. Mm -hmm. It's not the things in the Bible, as you know, that I don't know that I have a hard time with. It's those things in the Bible that I do know that are hard, right? Don't lust, don't lie, don't cheat, don't say. We know those things. Those are the things that we have a challenging time to apply in our lives. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org. Make sure to register and join us this October for the National Disciple Makers Forum in Nashville, Tennessee.